This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast that takes a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morris, and this week we catch up with former NCAA champion Bates rower and first-team All-American Jenna Armstrong from the class of 2015. She's across the pond and making waves at Cambridge. Plus, we preview the Bates softball season and chat with our Bobcats of the week. That's coming up on the Bates Bobcast. Bates women's track and field senior captain Jill Richardson placed ninth out of 20 competitors in the 3,000-meter run Saturday in Birmingham, Alabama at the NCAA Indoor Championships, just one spot shy of All-America honors. Her time of 9 minutes, 37.73 seconds, smashed the previous Bates record in the event, making Jill Richardson our female Bobcat of the week. Well, Jill, I watched the 3K, and it looks like um, there was one runner who was particularly fast. She just sprinted all the way out in front. I mean, did you know that was going to happen, and how do you kind of handle a situation like that? Yeah, um, I kind of knew that was going to happen because she was the one that won the 5K, and I was able to watch her win that the day before, and... That was the same tactic she had used. So I was once I saw that she was in my race, I was like, okay, she's probably going to take it out pretty hard. And, yeah, so I was just like, I know that I'm not, like, at that point, <laughs> that pace yet. So I, you know, just tried not to get too excited. <laughs> Certainly. And it seems like, I mean, you broke the Bates record in the 3K, but it seems like the 3K in overall, a lot of fast runners. I mean, what was that field kind of like to compete against them? Yeah, it was definitely, like, felt like I was running with the big dogs for sure. Um yeah, we we were just like looking at some of the past 3Ks over the years and this one definitely seemed like it was a really really fast year so but I'm like really happy that I got that opportunity. And what was uh I know you said you'd never been to Alabama before, so what mm-hmm. was the experience like going to Birmingham there? That was awesome. I really enjoyed it there. Definitely liked the warmer weather and they had some cute little downtown areas and yeah, it was just fun to experience it with the coaches too. Certainly, and then I know you got a chance to watch a little bit of the action on uh, Friday. So, what was what were you kind of looking for? What was that experience like? You mentioned you watching the five k. Yep, I watched the five k's. That was really cool. Some awesome performances there. Um, the men's was also a really exciting race, and then um, I was excited to watch the mile prelims to see who was going to make it to the finals the next day. Certainly, I know. I mean, you got ninth. Um, you know, you broke the record. So you're the fastest three k runner ever. It's kind of weird though. One spot out of all America. Yeah. What were your kind of thoughts on that sort of? I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely like I was a little disappointed, but also like I was just trying to like put it into perspective. Like I still got a PR and broke the record and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I'll definitely be hoping to get all American and outdoor. <laughs> so, Birmingham, obviously, indoor track. What was the facility kind of like? I mean, I was looking at it. I mean, how's it compared to like New Balance and Merrill and stuff like that? Yeah, it was like a huge facility because it was like. I only really went to the indoor track, but there's like a lot of other like sports facilities in that building. Mm. So that was cool. And it was a very nice track. It reminded me a lot of the New Balance one, which is like, it's kind of like a harder track, not so bouncy, but it still feels pretty fast. And then did you do, I mean, how, what's your preparation like? You got there Thursday. I mean, I think I saw something on Instagram, you doing a little running outdoors. How, how, how'd that go? Yeah, we found like a trail that was literally like five minutes from the hotel just like a rail trail so I would just go there every day and get a few miles in get some striders in and just try and stay calm. (laughs) 
Do you prefer like doing the outdoor works workouts? Because I mean, obviously, being a cross country runner, right? Yes, I definitely <laughs> prefer that, especially when the weather's that nice. Certainly. And then um, we have a few weeks until outdoor season begins. But what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on outdoors coming up? We get a host of meat right away, right? Yes, April first. Yep. Yeah, definitely exciting. We we were just talking today in our team meeting about like just going over dates for meets and stuff. And me and Coach Feldman had like. Um, we were in the airport just waiting for our flight, and we were talking about, like, kind of plans for the upcoming season and just talking about, like, probably going to try and, like, get a good 5K time, throw in a 10K, maybe even some 1500s. So kind of a wide range there. Well, 1500, that's like a sprint for you. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Have you run 1500 before? Like one time. One time, okay. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I think it'll be fun to try again. Certainly. And then, well, I guess um, just in terms of, you know, the Nationals experience, how did it compare? Because this is your first track Nationals. How yeah. did that compare to, you know, your, your by yourself was kind of, I'm sure, strange. But, well, how did it compare to, like, a normal meet? It was definitely just, like, a different kind of energy because, like, you just know going into the race that, like, everyone is going to be so fast. Like, we're, you know, we're all, like, milliseconds away from each other. So that was definitely exciting. Like, I knew that no matter where I was in the race, I was going to have somebody to run with. Um, and I was hoping that as long as I just like kind of got carried along by the race that I would have a good time. So at what yeah. point, cause I was watching the feed, but they kind of didn't do a great job of showing the end of the race. Yes. Oh. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I don't know what happened. Uh, but uh, at what point did it become like a sprint to the finish? How many meters left does that happen? Mm, sort of. Um, I think it was like with a couple laps to go, I started getting like passed by some people and then I think it might have been like lap to go that I got into ninth and then I was just like I was so tired but it was still exciting so at that point yeah you're just trying to make sure I mean you just don't want to like try to overexert yourself too soon I imagine yeah yeah yeah. but like on before the last lap I saw like my time and I knew that if I like still ran a good last lap that I would have a PR, so. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And a Bates record, not only not only a PR, <laughs> but a Bates record. But, yeah. uh, well, I guess, yeah, any other thoughts on, like, the indoor season kind of as a whole you wanted to share we haven't got to talk about? Yeah, it was definitely a really, I think, I've always kind of struggled with um, indoor, like, keeping the energy going from cross-country to indoor. But this year, I really just tried to enjoy it. And I think we had some great team energy going. And, um, yeah, I think that. Um, it was a great season, some great performances. Uh, we had a lot of, I feel like, top 10 people, like, and, like, I know, like, the sprinters yep. kept, like, trading who was getting the school records. That was all really cool. Yeah, yeah, lots of great records this past indoor season. Now we're looking forward to outdoor. Hopefully we'll get you back to Nationals for the Outdoors. And uh, thanks again for joining us on the Bobcast. Thank you. On the baseball diamond, the Bobcats fell 6-1 to one to number 10 nationally ranked Endicott on Wednesday before splitting a doubleheader at RPI on Sunday. Bates is now 4-2 on the season, the program's best start since 2015. First-year right-hander Max Dio was brilliant out of the bullpen last week for Bates, tossing a combined seven and two-thirds innings of one-run ball in two appearances. Plus, he picked up his first collegiate win in the Bobcats' 14-5 victory over the Engineers. And Max Dio is our male Bobcat of the week. Max, before we start talking about the weekend, the Endicott game before that, tell me a little bit about growing up, um, what, you know, made baseball kind of your favorite sport, you know, and what made you, you know, really commit to it and want to play in college? Yeah, so I'm actually from the Lower Cape, which is home to the Cape Cod Baseball League. Yeah. So I grew up around a lot of really good players, and they had all these youth camps that I will go to from as young as the age of five, 
and I really built my baseball there. And as I got older, I started having to travel a little bit more because I'm in a remote area. My town has about 2,000 people, so I'd be traveling a lot for practice. But honestly, like I built that passion from a young age, so I immediately fell in love with it. You know. So you got to see a lot of Cape Cod League games growing up, then? Oh, 100 yeah. percent. Yeah, I mean, I've. So, like, I would have always worked with the Orleans Firebirds, and they, they produced some pretty good players like uh, Mark Teixeira, Kevin Euclid. I mean, all of those guys were in the rotation. There's a ton of Hall of Famers that have come from that team. So, I mean, I've seen all like Bobby Dahlbeck, mm-hmm. who's on the Red Sox right now. I had to, actually had the chance to be his bat boy <laughs> when I was younger. So, it's, it's a pretty interesting community there. I love it. Oh, that's great. So, you weren't just going to Cape Cod League games. You were working them. Yeah, I, I would work. I would work them too. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get paid. It was volunteer. <laughs> right. It was volunteer. But yeah. any kid's dream was to be working with yeah. baseball players like that, especially someone like me who loves the sport. You know. Sure. What made pitching something you were interested in getting into? Well, I mean, to be honest, I love hitting too. Yeah. But like the first time I threw a ball when I was like five, I was like, oh wow, like this is my thing. Yeah. Like obviously, nothing comes easy, you know. But like I really, with a lot of work put in, and I really found that I could use my talent to really p- bring myself to the next level. Great. And what, tell me a little bit about your uh, uh, pitch mix, what we're going to see on Leahy Field this year. Well, <laughs> I'm a mainly fastball pitcher. Yeah. I like to use my velocity. That's, mm. that's my biggest asset. But I've developed a good slider over the last few years, and it's really starting to come to life here. And it's, It was working great in the end of that game. I got a lot of guys to strike out on that pitch. Great. So fastball slider. And then um, tell me a little bit about what made Bates the place for you for college when you were looking at opportunities. My mom's class of 96. Okay. So I've, I got introduced to Bates at a young age, of course. And I really came here. I made a couple of visits just randomly. I love the campus. And eventually when it got time to when it got time to start the recruiting process, um, Bates immediately came up for me when I thought of it because I didn't really, I wanted a D3 experience where I got a good education and I also got to enjoy my time in college. So I'm really happy to be here because it's that perfect balance of competitive sports and a fun atmosphere. Great. So let's talk about the Indica game a little bit because they're really highly ranked, right? They're number 10 in the country, at least they were last week. And you came in out of the bullpen against them and had a lot of success. You basically shut them down. So what was really, you mentioned the slider, but I mean, what was it like, you know, your second ever appearance against a, a top program like that. Yeah, I mean, it was nerve-wracking to say the least. Um, my first appearance I had down in Florida, I was my nerves were through the roof. And honestly, the way I thought of it going into that appearance was like, there's, you know, there's 15 pitchers on our staff. Yeah. So, you know, if things go wrong, then obviously it's about the team. So I got so many guys behind me that it's really no big deal. Like, there's so many quality pitchers. Like I said, uh uh, I think one of the other uh, Bobcat of the week, Sam Huff, yeah. he's, he's always great. He'll come in in relief and just throw strikes and get guys out. So I had him behind me as well as many other guys. And it was so it really just came down to, you know, getting out there and just not thinking about it, just doing what I do best. And it ended up working. And Endicott was a great team. They were a great hitting team. But when you work, when I worked my stuff, I mean, it, it was it was pretty unhittable. So great, and then um, you got your first collegiate win um, on Sunday in Game Two, of that doubleheader with RPI. Kind of a weird like tale of two games, right? Tell me about how you guys were able to flip the script a little bit on that. Uh, well, to start RPI, all credit to them. They're an amazing hitting team. In that first game, our pitchers were throwing strikes. We were working off speeds, and 
they just found they just found the ball like hitting hard hit line drives nonstop. I think they amounted like at least like 20 hits or something like that. It was crazy. And you know, coach middle of the game. I mean, we were all thinking the same thing, but he really was the one to say it out loud. He's like, "Listen, like that's game one, right? Yeah. Now that's why we were given double headers, right? We can we can learn from what we did in the last game and just turn it around and bring the energy into the next game." So we. Completely forgot the first game and just, you know, we know we're a good team. We know we can hang. I mean, we hung with Endicott. I mean, they're like they're one of the best teams in the country, so we know that we can do it. So we just took that energy, put it into the next game, and just started racking up hits, and that's really how you're going to win games. Right and you mentioned there. it being a team game. I mean, you were cruising along and ran into some trouble, and, and Teddy Nelson uh, got Teddy the job Nelson, done, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> big Teddy rocks Nelson. Yeah, he's, he's the guy. He uh, – <laughs> I, I did run into some trouble, and if it weren't for him, we'd be in more trouble. He really he stopped them like immediately. I was it was an amazing outing by him. So yeah, looking for big things from him in the season as well. Yeah, tell me a little about the pitching staff and kind of the dynamic with you guys. And uh, you had one start, but you were coming out of the bullpen also. Yeah, so I mean we're a really close knit group of guys. The pitchers like we all trust each other, and you know we got we kind of we're starting we're still trying to establish our roles a little bit like. Originally, I came in thinking of myself more as a starter, but I really found that, or at least code, my coaches found that I really work well in that middle release spot if guys get into trouble early. And that's kind of how it went last week with my two outings is I really got to hold the, hold the other team where they were at and just let us do, do our work with the bats. But um, another fellow freshman, John Tully, he's, he's, a, he's a hard thrower as well. He's, we're looking for big things from him. Um, he's going to get some more outings, and he'll definitely lay the hammer down on some of these teams we're going to face. Great, excellent. And then um, we got uh, pre-games with Brandeis coming up this weekend. So, I mean, it's obviously we got a big snowstorm, unfortunately, coming tomorrow. We're talking on Monday. So how are you guys preparing even without being able to get onto the field necessarily quite it's good to have this week off. We had a really busy week last week. We're going to get in the gray cage. That's, our, that's been our home for the past few months, and looks like it's going to continue to be our home at least until we get some spring weather. But, we, you know, we really know how to be productive in there. I mean, we've been, we've been doing that. I mean, that's kind of the staple of Bates baseball is while a lot of teams are playing outside and getting good, like, field work, like we got the gray cage. And, you know, we've really learned how to – make the most of our experience in there and really get better as a team. So we'll we'll have plenty of time to do that this week. Great. And I guess being a first year, I'm curious in terms of c- comparing college baseball so far through, you know, six games uh, versus what you saw in high school. What are some similarities and maybe differences? <sighs> well, um, I'd say I mean, it's, not, it's nothing like I've ever experienced before, the intensity. I mean, these guys bring it. I mean, there's no such thing as, like, competition that doesn't – that, that, that doesn't pose a challenge. You know, everybody's out there to win, and everybody's – and there's talent everywhere that you see. There's – anybody can beat anyone, as you see by that doubleheader. <laughs> like, right. like, you see total opposite ends of the spectrum. So everyone's got the talent. Like, I think the stat is like 7% of high school athletes make it to college. So you're working with those 7% of guys, and they're all talented. So, you know, everyone wants to be there. And, I mean, high school was a little bit less – of pressure of a spot there's a lot more pressure at this level for sure but I feel like at least on my end I've learned how to handle it a little bit after my first few outings great well any other thoughts you want to share on the season so far we haven't got to talk about I really think we got a shot to to go along here I mean this is a this is a great team of guys um we are all we're all 
fully committed to the process. We've been working hard a whole entire off season, and I really think that we got a chance of making it big this year. Excellent. Yeah, Max, thanks so much for joining the Bobcast. Congrats again on a great week for you. Thank you very much. The Bates softball team heads to Florida for 10 games over the course of seven days, beginning Sunday morning against Grinnell College as the Bobcats get the 2023 campaign underway. Head coach Kat McKay previews the season. It's a lot of games in a short amount of time, so what are your kind of thoughts on what you're hoping to see from the team uh, down there in Florida here uh, starting on Sunday? Uh, First of all, we can't wait. We can't wait to get out of the snow and get outside and find some dirt. You know, what we're expecting from Florida is uh, honestly – Uh, kind of a trial run. Um, We are prepared, I think. Um, But, you know, we haven't been outside. We haven't seen dirt. We haven't seen a lot of these teams. We've got nine freshmen this year, um, new coaching staff. So uh, we're all still trying to kind of figure it out where the puzzle pieces fit. But honestly, I think that this is going to be a great week for us. I know you have like a leadership council. Tell us a little bit about that group and what you hope to see from them. We do. We were we were so heavy with underclassmen um, and we had uh, we only have four seniors and one junior. Um, So the idea behind the leadership council is to kind of um, give everybody a voice in where the culture and the direction of this program is headed. So we have one representative from each class and it really helps uh, kind of bring together the voices of the the new ones that are going to be building this culture with uh, new coaching staff. And, you know, the veteran, um, older uh, voices in that group. Can you tell us about each one of the leaders or each class and what makes them like fit, fit that role kind of? Sure. So honestly, um, each class was able to kind of vote on who they wanted to represent them. So they obviously saw pieces of leadership, um, someone that they can go to and talk to. Uh, so the first one would in our first year class would be Ella. Um, she is, uh, you know, just a wonderful kid, um, came in with a great head on her shoulder, seems to be really even keel, uh, very talented. Um, She's a shortstop. Uh, Then we have for our sophomore class, we have Sarah Cook. Um, Again, you know, was chosen kind of for the same traits. She just is very even keel, somebody that the girls can talk to. And uh, we're really excited um, to have those two as underclassmen represent their leadership. Then we go into uh, our junior and senior. So our junior um, kind of won it by default, but I think she would have won it anyways. Uh, One junior, and that's Rachel. Um, She is a powerhouse hitter, um, and she just kind of goes with flow and does it all. Um, She puts a lot of work and, um, you know, time into every part of her game, um, and she's just a great representative of what we want for our future Bobcats. Uh, and then finally, Cass, um, she is a phenomenal senior outfielder. Um, she's one of those people that you watch when she's on the field. And if you are an outfielder, you want to be like her. Um, she is diving, giving 100% of every play. And, um, you know, the seniors voted her in. And um, I think, honestly, these were these would have been the four I would have picked myself, um, you know, but the team the team voted. So this was, it was great. Excellent. And then, um, you know, in terms of uh, obviously softball pitching is 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 critical. Uh, tell us about who, who who you should expect to see in the circle this year for Bates. Yeah, so we're going to have five, um, which is huge <laughs> pitching staff compared to what we have uh, had last year. Um, so we've got uh, our senior, uh, Kat. She'll be in the circle this year. She's a lefty. 
you know, movement on the ball, natural tail, which is, which is great. Uh, we've got Maggie, who's a sophomore. Um, she, you know, carried a lot of the load last year. Um, and she's going to be doing that again for us this year. And then we've got uh, three freshmen rounding out that group. And, um, you know, it's Madison. Uh, she's from Tennessee. We've got um, Taylor from Connecticut. And then we've got um, our last one is Delaney. Um, and she's currently a Mainer, but she always says she's from Vermont. Um, <laughs> so uh, those three bring um, a lot of talent, speed, um, something that we haven't been able to do uh, like last year, you know, with only two pitchers, we only graduated one, um, but Maggie's a returner. So it's going to be a lot of new faces for uh, the teams that we're playing against, but honestly, they, they're bringing in some talent just that first year. Yeah. Maggie Hillwig uh, got a lot of experience last year as a rookie kind of got thrown in the fire right away. Right. So what she you did, she did. She really grew up on the mound last year. Um, you know, watching her first game, to the last game of the season, she made strides in not only her um, pitching, but also her mound presence. Um, it's been amazing to watch her. Um, and even this year, the maturity she's bringing in just as a sophomore, um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. Great. And then, um, you know, in terms of, you know, for you, you were an assistant last year. Now you're stepping up into the head role. What's been kind of some adjustments you've been making? Cause you've been a head coach before, but what, uh, so is this kind of like, going right back into the routine you're kind of used to, or is it a little different from previous um, head coaching experience? It's definitely going back into a little bit of a routine that I'm used to. However, um, that transition from assistant coach uh, to head coach, you know, with the same players, um, it, there's a little bit of a transition. We had to have talks about what my role is this year. Um, going from assistant, you know, you can kind of be the good guy, um, and you can be kind of the fun one, the silly one a little bit. Um, but stepping into the head coach role, my, my job is to, is to put the best team I possibly can out there. Um, so, you know, there's going to be times where they might be frustrated with me because those are my decisions about who's starting, um, who's going to be a role player for us coming off the bench. Um, so we've had those discussions, but I think the headspace of the team right now is in a really good uh, place. Um, the support that they're giving each other um, has, has been amazing. And the support they're giving me and uh, coach Allie has been, has been amazing too. Um, and then in terms of the offense, the hitters you have coming back, I mean, you mentioned Rachel Liazos and Sarah cook, what they were able to do last year. I imagine they will be key parts of the lineup, but who are some other players you kind of looking to have big years this year on offense? You know, uh, Coach Alley's been working a lot with our hitters this year, and honestly, I'm expecting bats from everybody. But uh, Cass, um, our senior center fielder, um, that she just finds a way to get on. Uh, she's scrappy. Uh, she could hit the ball over the fence, or she could drop one at the plate. Um, so I'm expecting some big things from her. Uh, I think that we've got some incoming first years that are going to be a very big presence at the plate. Um, Kennedy Jones, one of the catchers this year, um, Madison, uh, who's going to be throwing for us. Um, we have a lot of options. Um, we've got some speedy, speedy people on this team. Uh, the only speed I, I wish I had when I was a player. Um, so we're going to be able to play big ball and small ball. Um, you know, we're just really looking forward to it. Great. Well, Kat, any other thoughts you wanted to share on the upcoming season we haven't gotten to talk about yet? 
no, we're just really excited to play. Um, you know, this year is definitely about progress, um, not perfection for us. We are a young team with new coaching staff. So we're all working to get on the same page. So we hope and want to just compete in every game that we are in this year. Um, if we don't get the W, we want to be on the, on the coattails of, you know, those losses. So um, we're really just looking to push ourselves this year and um, show what we can do. All right, Kat McKay, thanks so much for joining us on the Bobcast to preview the softball season. Thank you. We have big news to report from the world of rowing. On Sunday, March 26th in London, England, Oxford and Cambridge crews will compete in the boat race, an annual showdown that draws hundreds of thousands of fans and is aired on the BBC and viewed by millions around the world. And this year, a Bates alum will be in the Cambridge Blue Boat. Jenna Armstrong, who is a senior, helped Bates win the program's first NCAA title in 2015, earning first-team All-America honors along the way, joins the Bobcast to give us an inside look at her journey from a complete novice rower at Bates to rowing for one of the most prestigious crews in the world. Well, Jenna, before we start talking about the boat race, take us back to what made you want to come to Bates out of high school. And also tell us a little bit about how you joined the rowing team, because I know you weren't initially planning on doing that, but uh, classmate convinced you, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I first kind of considered coming to Bates um, because of the ski team. So I had been a competitive skier um, for most of my you know, childhood. Um, so I came to Bates because of skiing um, and because of an unfortunate knee injury, um, ended up not being able to ski uh, for the ski team. So I was kind of wandering around during like our first year seminar, a little bit lost because this is the first time in my life that I didn't have competitive sport. Um, and one of one of my teammates, one of my classmates um, kind of walked up to me and said, you're you're really tall, you seem pretty athletic. Why don't you give rowing a try? Um, and just kind of out of sheer luck, I said, yeah, um, I wanted kind of a group of friends, I figured I'd give it a try. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with the sport and continued from there. Had you ever been in a boat before? And what was, you remember your first day on the Skog? Oh my goodness, no, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I had to ask my friends, you know, what what do I wear? Um, you know, what kind of clothing do you do? I mean, I had absolutely no idea, um, but everyone was so nice and they just, they gave me a nice orientation, popped me in a boat with um, a couple of the girls who had rode before in high school. Um, and I just remember trying to match my body and make my body do what their body was doing. Um, and that was kind of my first, first orientation. So I spent about the first term probably in that boat, um, just learning the basic movements. And you obviously worked your way up to the first varsity eight. Tell us about kind of that process throughout your time as a Bobcat. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a really exciting progression for me. Um, I managed to kind of get into the second varsity eight, um, at the end of my first year, um, that was kind of a really close tight race um, to kind of determine who was going and who wasn't going to NCAAs that year. Um, so I'd gone kind of my first year and I remember just thinking if I train harder, um, then hopefully, you know, I can continue this kind of streak. So that summer, I remember just, you know, absolutely, um, you know, spending so much time in the gym, making sure that I was fit to come into the next season. Cause I didn't, I didn't want to be that close um, whether or not I was going to NCAAs. Um, and I think it was because I came in so strong um, from there, I had the baseline fitness and then Coach Deantra, um really kind of took the lead on teaching me actually how to row properly. Um, and I think when you put those two ingredients together, um, I was able to kind of progress over the course of those four years. Um, and it was a really kind of lovely journey that I went through at Bates. So your senior year, the team wins the NCAA championship for the first time um, in school history. 
Um, but it was kind of a weird finish, right? The first varsity eight didn't really know what was going on in terms of where you end up placing. So take us to that experience senior year and winning the title and kind of finding out as you were going back to shore, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a wild ride. Um, that was our NCAAs that year was in California. Um, the boats actually got into an accident on the way there. So we showed up with no boats, uh, the whole team, but no boats. Um, so we ended up borrowing boats uh, from a couple of different teams from around the world or around the country. And um, so that was kind of our first challenge. Um, and the way that NCAAs is set up um, for division three is that the second varsity eight goes first. And if you're in the first varsity eight, you don't actually know the results um, that your other teammates did. And it's a total team's points to figure out who actually wins the title. So you kind of have to rely on the second varsity eight to kind of do their job and trust that you can do your job. And you actually have no idea what the results were. Um, so I remember crossing the finish line and we were really hoping to be in first. Um, and, you know, unfortunately that didn't happen. We came in second, which was still a pretty phenomenal result for the uh, first varsity eight. Um, so we just kind of assumed based off of our results, we assumed that we would be walking away with another second place team title. Um, and so for about, you know, five or six minutes as we were spinning the boat around and, you know, getting ourselves back to shore, um, we were kind of sitting in the boat thinking, all right, we've, we've done second again. Um, we don't hope for first, but had come in second. Um, and then all of a the sudden there was just this enormous roar from the Bates fans on the bank. Um, and, you know, people were screaming, you know, putting up their, their finger showing number, you know, the sign number one. And, and all of a sudden it just kind of hit us. It went down the boat actually. Um, and there's a video of it. Um, it's a bit of a shockwave of each of us kind of figuring out uh, what had happened. Um, and it just, I almost can't describe that feeling. Um, and I just remember kind of laying back into one of my teammates' arms and, and that was incredible. Um, that was the goal that I had kind of wanted to achieve uh, before I had left Bates. And that was, you know, what a way to leave. Yeah, to go from a complete novice to a first team All-American and national champion. I mean, when did that kind of hit you? Like, wow, what a journey it's been over these four years, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was actually really wild as well. I, I didn't know that I had the All-American title um, until about maybe about a month after um, the NCAA um, race. And so, yeah, it was it, it was quite a journey from going from, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, into the first varsity eight, into then winning a national title, um, to then getting the All-American um, title. Um, and then actually that's, you know, it almost didn't hit me until after that had happened. Um, and I started getting contacts from coaches, um, including the coaches from Cambridge, um, to, to continue rowing um, afterwards that I, I really kind of realized um, what I had achieved and how kind of big of a deal that was. And then so you graduate from Bates, but then for what, five years, I think you <laughs> didn't row at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what brought you back and take us through those maybe years where you weren't rowing? Yeah. So um, I kind of decided at that point um, I wanted to hang up the oar um, and I figured I would end on a high. Um, it was like quite a journey. And I said, it absolutely can't get better than this. And so I figured, you know what, let's leave while we're ahead. Um, and I had really wanted to go to medical school. I'd always wanted to become uh, a doctor. And so um, over the next five years, um, I did Teach for America for two years. Um, I then worked in rural India for a year at a small rural hospital. Um, and then I went off to medical school for two years. Um, and so, you know, I retired from rowing. I was just kind of exercising casually um, and, you know, kind of figured that was that was the end um, and then kind of picked it up again. Well, yeah. What inspired you to pick it up again? I mean, obviously this opportunity at Cambridge came about. 
Yeah, so I actually really missed it. And and all the while, while I was kind of in retirement, um, I I really missed rowing. Um, I missed the people. I missed the relationships um, that, you know, you kind of build uh, being in a boat with people and training with people um, for all those hours. Um, I really missed how I felt when I was rowing. I really missed being, you know, super fit and feeling really strong and powerful. Um, so it was kind of always in the back of my mind that, you know, one day I would love to come back. Um, but I knew that if I came back, I'd wanted it to be, you know, a really competitive team. Um, I liked, um, you know, being in a high performance program. Um, so I had, you know, a really amazing opportunity to come to Cambridge to um, do my PhD. So I'm MD PhD. Um, so I'm doing a medical degree at, at Duke and then um, I'm doing my PhD here at Cambridge. And so when I found out that I got into Cambridge um, and I had the funding to be able to come here, um, I figured, you know what, this is, you know, one of the best programs, you know, in, in the world. And so um, let's let's give it a go. Um, the Cambridge coach had reached out to me actually in 2015. Um, and I initially, I was kind of scared um, because I, I was actually kind of worried that I wasn't going to be fast enough to be on the team and that, you know, I would, I would get dropped, um, which looking back on it now seems kind of silly. Um, but at the time that was kind of a fear that I had. Um, but yeah, once I figured I was here and I was coming, like, let's, let's give this a go. And I, I think I could probably, probably make the team and make the squad. So. So the Cambridge coach probably remembered you then, right? Yeah. So when I reached out five years later, I said, Hey, we had, we had talked, we'd had this conversation. He was like, Oh my gosh. Yes, of course. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was, it was definitely a time lapse. Um, but yeah, he remembered me and and I of course remembered him. And, um, over the course of those five years, I had, you know, a couple of friends from the U S that had come and rode for Cambridge. Um, so I was familiar with the program. I was familiar with the, the coaching staff. Um, and so when I was here and in this environment, it kind of became a little bit more real. And again, I kind of figured I would give it a try. All right. So the boat race, which is coming up at the, for the end of the month, for those of us in the United States who are clueless about this, explain the significance of this race. Cause it's a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the boat race is um, a 6.8 kilometer race. Um, so it takes about 20 minutes to do on the women's side, 18 to 20 minutes. Um, and it's you know on the River Thames. I'm in London, so it goes from Putney to Mortlake, um, and it's it's a massive um, and and historic race. Um, so on the men's side, it's been going on for almost about 200 years. On the women's side, this will be the 75th rendition of it. Um, it's televised on on the BBC. Um, so there's about I guess about a hundred thousand people on the banks uh, watching in person, and then you know two to three million people that are kind of watching on the television around the world. Because um, again, it's it's on the BBC, which is televised everywhere um and so it, it's one of the most surreal experiences i think i've ever had in terms of you know how much media attention this gets um and the caliber of athletes that this sort of race attracts um we had you know grace prendergast who's you know was the fastest woman in the world who was on our team last year um who came to cambridge for a degree and then of course did did the boat race on the side um so uh, you know just the history behind this and the the attention that it gets and just almost the hype around it um, is actually kind of unreal. Yeah, because you were in the race last year, but in a different boat, right? Can you break down kind of the different boats? Yeah, so um, the blue boat, which is kind of the the top boat, um, that's the Cambridge top boat versus the Oxford top boat. Um, so that's kind of the one that has all the BBC cameras on it and, you know, the BBC, you know, the interviews and the footage and the, you know, that's the one that's kind of everyone kind of watches. Um, and then there's an entire reserve crew. Um, so that's kind of the second varsity eight um, on the women's side and the men's side. Um, and, you know, in order to make a first varsity eight go fast, you need a really strong second varsity eight. Um, and so 
we actually get to race um, in the reserve crew. It's, it's called Blondie. Um, and in that crew, um, you get to race on the same day in front of the same crowds um, in between the men's and the women's race. So you kind of get the whole experience and you get to do the really fun bit, which is race um, Oxford. But you kind of get to do it um, in a slightly lower pressure environment. Um, so the cameras aren't on, um, the media aren't watching. You know, for us, like, that is a big deal. Um, and it, it, you know, all the hype and the buzz and, and you get to go through the same process, um, but kind of without um, the additional effect of, of media and that sort of thing. So what does it mean to you to make the blue boat this year? I mean, obviously they announced a few days ago, right? Yeah. So for me, um, this is something that I've kind of always wanted to do and wanted to achieve. Um, so it is, you know, in a way it's a huge step on from um, the reserve crew last year. Um, we have, you know, our crew is filled with more international athletes who are kind of, um, you know, been doing this for a very long time. Um, people who've raced at, you know, the world championships and that sort of thing are kind of in the crew. Um, so I think the standard of the crew is, is a little bit higher than, you know, what I had experienced last year. Um, but in a way, I'm glad that I had the experience last year. Um, so I know what it, it feels like. Um, I know what it's like to, you know, hear the crowds roaring. I know what it's like to row um, on a tidal river where, you know, there's stream and waves and, you know, lots of different conditions that you're battling with. Um, and so, you know, in a way it is a big step on, um, but also in a way it feels very familiar. Um, and I'm, I feel very comfortable with that. Um, and the fact that I um, kind of have been there before and, and know that I can do it and know that I can do it again. Now, are there twists and turns like the head of Charles and bridges to go under, or is it more of a, a straight on uh, race? How does it kind of go? Yeah, so um, the course is, is quite interesting um, in the fact that um, there are, you know, kind of three big turns um, that kind of happen throughout the, throughout the course of the race. Um, and then there's the additional factor of um, it's a tidal river, so there's an enormous amount of stream. Um, so it's really important that you can kind of get your boat in the stream um, because it's amazing how much faster you can go if you're in the stream. Um, and then what makes it, I think, I guess a really special race is that it's, it's a two horse race. You know, there's, there's, it's binary is the result. You either win or you lose. Um, and it's, it's against one of the crew. Um, so I do think it puts a little bit more pressure on the day um, than, you know, you would see in the head of the Charles, but it is more similar to the head of the Charles than it would be, you know, an NCAA national championship or something like that. Um, the other thing with the boat race is that there aren't exactly the same, I guess, rules um, as you would see in the head of the Charles or um, in like an NCAA kind of 2K race. Um, the boats are actually allowed to kind of clash oars and that sort of thing. So um, the coxes, because they're fighting for the best stream, because the best stream is, you know, how you win the race, they're really kind of getting as close as they possibly can without getting disqualified. Um, and then they'll never cancel the race. So even if the weather is absolutely horrific, they'll put pumps in the boats and we still race the race regardless of what's going on around us. So again, that makes it, you know, a really unique experience. And I think what makes it such a dramatic race um, for people who are watching. Have you already been looking at long-term forecasts then for the end of the month? <laughs> so we have, yeah. Um, we're getting hit with quite a bit of uh, rain at the minute. Um, so that does affect the stream. Um, and then, of course, th we know what the tides are going to do based off of, you know, what the moon's doing and that sort of thing. So we know that years in advance. And then, of course, the weather, um, we're still about two weeks out. So we don't have the weather forecast for the day. Um, but we do kind of have a sense of how much um, precipitation we're going to get between now and then. Um, and yeah, we're kind of looking ahead to that. I was reading your Q&A on the Cambridge uh, website and everything, and your average day is intense. I mean, take us through your a day in the life of Jenna Armstrong there at Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. so it is um, it is jam-packed. So um, I wake up at around, well, I wake up at 5 a.m. 
Um, we catch the 5.57 a.m. train from Cambridge um, to Ely, which is where our training facility is. It's about a 15 minute train ride. Um, we then have training um, till about 8.45. We'll take the train back to Cambridge. Um, and at that point I'll go into work. So I usually get into work around 9.30. Um, I work in a lab for my PhD, so I'm in uh, the lab from about 9.30 in the morning to about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, from there, I'll go straight back to um, our training facility here in Cambridge. Um, we'll do some land training, whether it's some weights or um, ergs, uh, from about 5.30 until about 7, 7.30 at night. And then finally, I get to go home, cook some dinner, have a nice shower, uh, pack my bags for the next day, and then off to bed. And are you training, what, six days a week or how much? Yeah, training? so it's... <laughs> So the training for us is seven days a week, seven days, um, <laughs> seven days a week, um, and there's about 12 sessions a week. So um, it's two sessions a day, um, every day, with the exception of Mondays and Thursdays. That's just one session in the afternoon. Gotcha. And so obviously a little more intense than maybe the training at Bates, but how how did, you know, your time at Bates kind of prepare you for, you know, your, your graduate experience so far? Yeah. So Bates has been probably one of the best things that that could have happened to me in my time uh, with Bates rowing. Um, I think it kind of taught me, I guess, all of the skills that I needed both on and off the water. Um, so Coach Studentship, of course, taught me, um, you know, the, the basic technical work, um, but also kind of, you know, he taught me the resilience and how to be tough and how to be strong and how to train well and train smart um, and really kind of push myself to new limits. So I learned that at Bates. Um, but then I also learned, you know, the time management skills and the the kind of work ethic that I think is required for this sort of um, this sort of endeavor. Um, so it it is a step on from what I did at Bates, but I think without the foundation that I had at Bates, um, there's no way that this could be would be possible. Do you often like think back like what if I hadn't you know met that you know classmate um, you know my first year what might have been the difference right I mean it was kind of wild how one interaction can cause a chain like that right? Yeah, I mean I I do think about that. Um, actually quite frequently. Um, I think my life would be would be totally different. Um, I mean, the fact that I'm even at Cambridge, Cambridge was kind of put on my radar for a PhD um, was because of rowing. I mean, that's that's kind of how I heard about it and how I got kind of involved um, and, and thought to apply. Um, I think the easy thing to do would have been to just stay um, in the States and, and continue to do my PhD at Duke. Um, so, you know, it, I think it really did change the trajectory of, of my life. And um, you know, in, in the best way possible. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I ran into that teammate and that friend, you know, what was that, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, longer than that, 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And then, um, so how many more years do you have at Cambridge? Do you go back to Duke after that? Or how does that work? Yeah. So um, my PhD um, is finished in October of 2024. Um, so I've got about a year and a half left on that. Um, and then I'll go back to Duke Medical School. I've got one more year uh, of medical school there. And then um, I'll go off to residency and, and become a doctor. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So after the big race here at the end of the month, what's next in, from a rowing perspective, perhaps, then for you? Yeah. So I get a nice uh, break. My parents are actually coming uh, to London. So I get about a week and a half off. Uh, where I get to just kind of hang out with my family. Um, we're going to go explore London, Stonehenge, that sort of thing, do all the touristy things. Um, and then we pick back up training again um, in early April. Um, and then we start building into um, races like Bucks, which is like the British um, collegiate, you know, it's kind of like the British version of NCAAs. Um, so we have that. Um, and then we have Henley Royal Regatta, and that's kind of the big one that I think we, we're going to be training for next. So that one's um, in early July. And then after that, it's just 
start training for the boat race again. So we get about six weeks off of individual training. Um, and then the, the boat race campaign starts again. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jenna, I guess any other thoughts you wanted to share on uh, the upcoming boat race or your time at Bates even we haven't gotten to talk about yet, perhaps? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about the boat race. Um, I think we've been, we've been training for this, um, you know, for quite a long time. And this has kind of been a dream of mine for, for many, many years. So it's something that I'm really looking forward to um, and just really excited to, to experience. Um, and then in terms of my time at Bates, um, I mean, again, I look back on it so fondly and I, you know, I feel like when I was in the depths of things, I, I didn't necessarily appreciate um, how amazing it was. And I look back on that experience and I, it just, you know, I'm so lucky to have Bates and have such a, a supportive and lovely community around me. Um, and again, it's, it's really kind of set me up for, you know, where I am now and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, big shout out to coach Dean and the rest of the, the coaching staff. And of course, all my teammates when I was there, um, as well, who were kind of, you know, supporting me and, and pushing me and kind of teaching me, um, everything that I needed to know. Um, and then of course for the cruise, you know, this year, um, as much as I've been out of Bates for a long time, you know, it's something that you're still watching. You still have a big, you know, alumni support network around them. Um, and so I'm actually excited after the boat race to kind of turn my focus back to Bates and kind of watch what they can achieve this year as well. Um, we do have our NCAA watch parties every year here at Cambridge. There's a big um, American alumni group that's here. Um, and so, you know, we put it on the big screen and we, we watch and cheer and that sort of thing. Great. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcats. I'm sure we'll all be tuning into the uh, the BBC there at the end of the month for the boat race. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. In other Bates Athletics news from the past week, the women's lacrosse team picked up non-conference wins over Worcester State and St. Joseph's College of Maine, but the Bobcat women and men are still looking for their first NESCAC wins of this season after falling versus Trinity on Saturday. The tennis teams are also looking for their first NESCAC victories after losses to national powerhouses Williams and Middlebury. Meanwhile, make sure you check out GoBatesBobcats.com as we will have full coverage of our swimming teams at the NCAA Championships, which begin this Wednesday and run through Saturday. And we'll recap all the upcoming week's action next time on the Bates Bobcast.